So, uh, but anyway, uh, guys, we are in a new, we're not a new series, we're in a series called Make Your Own Mistakes, Don't Make Mine. We're going through the Bible. The Bible gives us un, an unvarnished look at, uh, at, at the mistakes and failures of great people of faith. Their stories are there so that we'll learn them the easy way, not the hard way. But unfortunately, most of us will not learn from their mistakes. We'll, we'll make their mistakes, but their stories are there to inspire us and to lead us. And today's, um, today's message is called Impatience with God's Timing it Leads to Disaster. Right, impatience with God's timing leads to disaster. And the main thing, like Donovan said, temptation to help God out has led to more disasters than we care to admit. So my question for you guys is, have you ever felt like God is not moving fast enough? Like you've got, you've got things you need to do, and he's just not keeping up. He's not making it happen like you want it to happen. You know his will for your life. You know the goal, but nothing's happening. Or it's happening, but it's just not soon enough. Well, as a pastor, I get the question, um, I just want to know God's will for my life. I want to know what, what's going to happen in 10 years and in 20 years and in 30 years and in 40 years. And, and, and I, I say, that's not the way God works. God doesn't give us the whole plan. And I, that used to bother me. Um, I, 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 that used to bother me a lot, but it doesn't bother me anymore. What, what God does, he's given us his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit says, okay, I'm not going to give you the map. I'm going to sit in the passenger side, and I'm going to tell you where to turn. You just keep driving, and I'll tell you when to turn. We come to turn, I'll tell you. Until then, you just keep doing what I keep, just keep going. I'll tell you each turn. I'm not going to give you the map. You, and and the, that used to upset me. But it doesn't upset me anymore because I found out what happens when God does tell us the whole plan. It's a disaster. Okay, we go to uh, the Genesis chapter 12, a guy named Abraham. Right, so a guy named Abraham, uh, the Lord approaches him and says, well, his name is Abram at the time. And he says, look, I'm going to make you into a huge nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you the father of the, 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 my, my chosen people. I'm going to bless you. Your descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And for those guys whose uh, wives are on the women's retreat, you're dealing with kids. That doesn't sound like much of a blessing, does it? Okay. Uh, but uh, anyway, so the, the, we pick up in Genesis 12, verse 1 through 2. The Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land. I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So this is a promise. So Abram knows the plan. He knows the future. Let's see how well... He handles it. We pick up in Genesis 15, verse 2 through 5. God says again, you're gonna, I'm going to make your name great, bless you, with the, you know, make you a great nation. Verse 2, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up in the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. He said, so shall your offspring be. Okay, so God gives Abram the plan, the whole plan. You're going to have a big family. You're going to be the big guy. Your, your name is going to be great. I'm going to bless you. But for some reason, month after month after month, the pregnancy test doesn't Show two lines. You know, it, 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 month after month, Sarah is not getting pregnant. She's 90-something years old, 98 years old or whatever. And they're beginning to stress a little bit. Beginning to stress a little bit. So we find out what happens when God tells us the whole plan. We try to help God out. 
Point two, sometimes God just needs a little help from us. You know, if God knew what we know, he would, he would be on our timeline, right? If only God had my insight into things, then things would work out right. Genesis 16, verse 1 through 4. Look what happens. Instead of waiting on God's will, this is what he does. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave, so perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said, so after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Okay, now, as in America, this is like, whoa, that is really hardcore and intense. Well, back then, that wasn't that big a deal. That's what you did. That was a cultural understanding if you can't have kids you go grab someone who can give you kids you know and 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 you do that and that's how you that that was just the way it was that was the custom that was the that's what everybody else were doing that's what all the cool kids were doing y'all okay and that's exactly what we do when God's timing is not our time many times we adopt the customs the people around us and that's exactly what he did. He was going to help God out. And if you guys know the story, it's, it's in Genesis, it's a fascinating story. Hagar conceives and gives birth to a, a boy named Ishmael, who would become the father of all the Arab people. Then later on, Abraham and, and Sarah have another child named Isaac, who becomes the father of the Jewish people. And they've been fighting ever since. Abraham's pushing of God's timeline is the result of this, is the cause of this. And so the, the term create an Ishmael comes about. In other words, you want to rush things. You want to do things and, and not, not in God's time. You want to rush things a little bit and you create an Ishmael. And that's what we want to avoid. That's what we, we, that's what we want to avoid. So guys, there are two parts to God's will. Especially you young people, like, like people that, the young people that, are all, that have their whole life in front of them. You try to figure out God's will for your life. This is it. There are two parts to God's will. There's God's will and there's God's way. And you cannot discount either one. 1 Samuel 24.10 takes us to a, a different man, uh, King David. The, 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 the example in the Bible. He, is, uh, he has been anointed king. Okay, this is, this is Saul is the king. Let me set the stage here. Saul is the king. He's, a, he's not doing a very good job. So the prophet Samuel goes to David, anoints him with oil, and tells him, you are going to be king. You're not king yet, but you're going to be king. Okay, so David knows the plan. Well, King Saul gets jealous of David because he knows that, that, that he's going to be taking the kingdom and everything. So he goes and he tries to kill David. So David is living in the rocks. He, he's scratching out a living. He's on the run for his life. Uh, the whole army is searching for him. It's a pretty nasty time in Israel's history. Okay, uh, and, and so Saul is out with the army and he's chasing David. That sounds really funny because my brother's name is Chase, Chase and David. He's chasing David, okay? Uh, and, and Saul, like, uh, they didn't have port-a-johns back there, so Saul had to go use the bathroom. And he goes into a cave. Well, David and his men are hiding in that cave. And David's men, David's men say, this is it, man. God has delivered you, God delivered your enemy right to you. He doesn't know we're here. He's compromised. He, he doesn't have his weapons with him. He's using the bathroom. And, and this is your chance. 
Man, go kill him. You know you're going to be king. You, you could get rid of this, uh, of the threats of your life. You could have it all. Man, the kingdom is right there, the palace. Go get him. And so David creeps up, dagger in hand. You pick up right here. Instead of killing him, he cuts off the corner of his robe. And he lets Saul go. And Saul goes out of the cave. He rejoins his army. When he's out, David steps to the mouth of the cave and said, my, my Lord and Master Saul. Saul turns up and he realizes David was in the cave he just came out of. His heart was probably beating 200 beats per minute because he knew, knew what kind of man David was. This guy that killed Goliath. Okay, this was a warrior, his sworn enemy. In 1 Samuel 24, 10, this day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord because he is the Lord's, I mean, I'm, I'm my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, guys, what happens when we know God's will? Satan sidles up to us and he says, hey, you know God's will. You know the goal. You know the future, okay? Let's just help God out a little bit. Because Satan is not concerned about God's will. He definitely doesn't want you to do things God's way, okay? It's one of Satan's greatest strategies. He works in that, because he works in the half-truth. He works, you say, well, well how, then how do I know if it's God's voice or Satan's voice telling me what to do? Well, easy. Satan will always tempt you to accomplish God's will without doing it God's way. See, Satan's will, Satan's temptation for David right there was to take the kingdom, but by force, by murder, by, by uh, getting rid of the Ten Commandments, said you shall not commit murder. It, that was his way. He was going to uh, make sure that David did not do things God's way. Okay, We see that powerfully in the story of David right here. Like, like, like I said, his guard was down. He could have done it. And I know the temptation was there. Now, whether or not David crept up there with his dagger to kill Saul or to cut off his robe, I don't know. I have to think that probably he took his dagger because he was considering it. David was a warrior. Killing another person was not going to uh, shake him at all. Matter of fact, the reason that Saul was so jealous of David was because of the song, that was a popular song of, of the day. Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. So the reason that Saul uh, was so jealous of him was because David was a greater warrior than him. Believe me, killing a person was not what, what would have stopped David. But it's God's will for him to be king and he needed to do it God's way. I want you guys to fast forward 50 years from that incident. And David is telling his grandkids how he became king. Think about that. If he would have killed Saul, if he would have done that, what type of example, what kind of a legacy would he have left for him and for his grandkids. He would have had to say, you know, hey, grandkids, I killed a man, a murdered man in cold blood. Snuck up on him, sucker punched him. He didn't know what was happening. That's how I became king. Is that really the legacy you want? No. So David did not try to rush God's will. God's will has to be done God's way because Satan will always try to get you to de destroy God's will by neglecting God's way, all right? My daughter came up to me and asked me one time how long she should be engaged. She's thinking about getting engaged. It's like, how long should an engagement be? 
And I said, well, you should get engaged in the morning and get married that afternoon. Because I'm telling you, the moment you get engaged to be married, sexual temptation goes through the roof. It really does. And I would imagine every, every engaged couple, I know that happened to me, probably happened to you, you folks that are married. The second you got engaged, Satan sidles up and says, hey, you're going to be married, right? Hey, hey, you know, why wait six months? You really think God wants a 30-minute ceremony? Like, like before that, you're going to be going to hell, and then a 30-minute ceremony, then everything's okay after that? Is that what really, is that really what God, man, go do it now. See, he deals in the half-truth. He deals with God's, well, he just doesn't want you doing it God's way. And so many of us fall for it. We fall for it every day. It's one of Satan's greatest masterpieces, one of his greatest strategies, because he works in the half-truth. He just doesn't want you doing it God's way, okay? I wonder if Satan did the same thing to Abraham. Hey, you're supposed to have a kid. You're going to be the father of many nations. I mean, look at all the stars. That's how many descendants. You better get busy, Abraham. Sarah ain't cutting it. Here's, you know what the custom is. You know what the world says. You, you know what everyone else is doing. They're producing kids. Why don't you just go do that? Hey, you know what God wants for you. Very tempting, isn't it? Month after month, like I said, the pregnancy test shows up negative, and Satan tempts Abraham with the customs of the day, with what the, everyone else around them is doing. And I see so many Christian people doing exactly that. We, because we're impatient with God's will for our lives, we start doing what everybody out in the world is doing. We just adopt their customs instead of waiting on God's way. But remember, God has not called us Christians. He's not called us to do what the rest of the world is doing. He's called us to follow him. That is what our calling is. It doesn't matter to him it, what, it, what we look like to people out in the world. It doesn't matter. He doesn't care. All right? He cares how closely we follow him. God's will, God's way. So this is what God's will, God's way teaches us. This is why we wait on God. This is why we wait on God's timeline. Don't rush things. Okay? The first thing is this. He, he teaches us patience. I love this psalm, uh, Psalm 37, 1 through 7. I want you guys to highlight it in your Bible. You have the YouVersion Bible app. Highlight it if you're using a print Bible. Underline it, dog ear. This is what, uh, th th I love this passage right here. We're going to go through it verse by verse and line by line. Okay? Right, this is King David. He's an old man, probably in his 80s. Looking back, he's probably talking to maybe his grandkids or some young men in the palace or, 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 or whatever. And he says this, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. I would imagine probably some of the young people in the kingdom were coming to him and saying, David, why should we follow God? Look what all these other people are doing. They're, they're flaunting your ways. They're breaking your Sabbath. They're, they're, they're engaging in violence. They're thieving. You know, they're stealing. They're dishonest. And man, they're getting wealth and getting wealthy and they're really doing well in the world. And we're not. So what's going on? And David just kind of sits back and he sighs and he smiles and he goes, I wish you guys had 80 years of experience because let me tell you how that's going to work out for them. I know right now you guys are in your teens or your 20s. You haven't lived long enough to see what happens to people like that. He says, I'm going to tell you this. For like the grass, they will soon wither and green plants, they will soon die away. 
He says, listen, they may look prosperous for a moment, but it ain't going to happen for them. I want you to just be patient. Check back in a year and see how these people are doing. They're not going to do well. Their families are going to be a mess. They're going to get thrown in jail. They're going to have what, what they've done to other people is going to be done to them. Believe me, over 80 years, I've seen it. And you don't want any part of that. Don't fret, he tells the young people. Don't fret. Be patient. And he says this, verse 3, he says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. I love that. He says, enjoy safe pasture. That's, a, that's, a, that's an agrarian kind of analogy. A safe pasture meant that you were out in the field and there weren't wolves trying to get at you. There weren't uh, predators. There weren't thieves trying to get at you. Safe pasture means that if you trust in the Lord, these people will not be breaking down your door. You won't be worrying about it. every time a car door opens or a car door goes, is that the police? You're not going to worry about that kind of stuff. Safe pasture if you do things God's way. Okay? And then he goes on. He says, uh, take delight in the Lord. This is something I want to tell this church and people joining us online. Take delight in the Lord. Don't just believe in God. Take delight in God. In other words, love God like you love your, your spouse, like you love your children, like you love uh, the, the, your, your hobbies. or you, you, that, that, that type of love. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know what I think he was thinking when he wrote that, take delight in the Lord? I think he went back to the cave, and he said when he could have taken the kingdom, and he could have ridden, rid himself of all his problems. He could have gone back to lived in the palace like a king had he killed Saul. And yet, he delighted in God's ways more than the kingdom. I think that's what he's talking about here. He, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Be patient, young people. God will give you the desires of your heart. In his time, take delight in him. And he says this, young people, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be, I love that. He says, listen, you trust in God. You will be vindicated. People are criticizing you right now. They're mocking you, all this kind of stuff. Believe me, trust in the Commit your ways to him. You will be completely vindicated. You will be shown for who you are. So will they. Just be patient, young people. I think David is saying this. And then I love this, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I love that. I think David is probably, probably these people coming to him are emotional. They're probably yelling about God and yelling. They're all stressed out and everything. And David just goes, silence, be still, quit, stop. All right? Be still. Hey, people... He says, let's be silent for once. We always storm and barge into God's presence with our demands and our problems and our, and our questions. And, and he's, he can handle all those, but for crying out loud, be quiet for a second. Chill. Be still before God, he says. Be still. I'll tell you this. I've been around a long time, people, he said. Believe me, God will do exactly what is right. But not only that, David is saying to these people, this is what I've learned about prayer. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I say. God's not changing his timeline. 
Okay? He's not changing his will or his ways because you're impatient or because you're yelling and hollering. Okay? It's kind of like the players when I used to referee, referee soccer, made a call they didn't like. They come, you know, yelling and hollering, hey, that ref, that was a wrong call. How many times do you all think, y'all know me, how many times did I go, oh, you know, you're right. Gosh, I, mi- I missed that call. Yep, yep, I, I call it this way. This way. Let's, let's change that. How many times do you think that happened? Zilch. About the same number of times the bass player's gotten respect from the band. Zero. Okay? All right? So it just doesn't work. Be still. Be silent before God, David says. Chill. Be calm. And then he says this. He says, don't fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. He goes, I've seen it all. Be patient, young people. I've been around a long time. Be still. And, uh, and he says this. Why does God make us wait? Why doesn't he just tell us to go after his will by any means necessary? Well, I'm glad you asked because that brings up the second thing that uh, that's God's will, God's way teaches. It teaches perseverance. So it teaches patience, which, which we all need. Teaches perseverance. James 1, 2 through 4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whatever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Okay? Now, how many of you all are better at starting things than finishing things? Any, any hands, any guilty parties? Okay? How many of you all have like, started a workout program or a diet and you, know, you haven't really uh, finished it? You started it, but we didn't really finish it. It lasted about as long as a New Year's resolution uh, lasts. Yep. Well, um, that's, that's, that's how we are. It's very, very difficult for us to persevere, yet it is one of the key aspects of the Christian life. We have to persevere. And God makes us, by, his, by making us do things his way, teaches perseverance. When I was in youth ministry, um, several times I was called to speak chapel at LCA, um, uh, middle school chapel. It was always at the end of the day. I don't know why they put chapel at the very end of the day. Maybe just throw the, the preacher to the wolves because these kids have been sitting there for six hours you know, in class and they're ready to go home and that's when chapel was. I have no idea why they scheduled it that way. But uh, I was preaching a message and it was going nowhere. I mean, I, I, I was floundering. I was trying to make points, couldn't make the points. You know, it just was going nowhere. Okay, kind of like every Sunday morning here. You know. uh, I, I knew it was bad. All the teachers were sitting over to my left, and I was speaking, and one of the teachers started praying. She goes, help him, Jesus, help him, Jesus. I knew it wasn't going well, okay? It was bad. And I, I, I finished the message, and I was discouraged, and I knew the kid, the, you know, it was one of those things where as soon as you got done, the kids, like, ran out of the chapel, you know, they didn't even, it, it was one of those things. Now I was, I was very discouraged, and I knew it, it had bombed. The LCA principal came up to me. His name, a good man named Coach Cravens. And he walked up to me, probably knew I was discouraged. And he didn't even say, hey, didn't say good job. He just looked at me. He did this. He goes, do not become weary in doing good. For it will, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. And those words have stuck with me. He quoted the Apostle Paul from Galatians 6, verse 9. Do not become weary in doing good. And that message has stuck with me. That was 22 years ago. I still remember that. Every time I've wanted to quit and throw in the towel, 
Every time I wanted to just, just, just chuck it all, go do something else, or, or just, just leave, it'd be so much easier if I didn't have to deal with God's way. Every time I do that, I remember those words, do not become weary in doing good. See what the scripture tells us? We must be develop perseverance so we, we will be mature and complete. I want to speak to especially some of the young people in here, but the older people, middle-aged people too. You ever wonder why God makes you wait? Why he gives you his will, but he makes you wait? It's because sometimes, because we have some growing up to do. Because we aren't mature enough to handle his will. We are not there yet. We need to grow. We need, a, we need to learn some lessons. We need a solid foundation. And that is why God withholds his blessings from us so that when we, he gives them to us, they won't destroy us. Okay, believe me, God's blessings can destroy you if they are given to an immature person. Right? Um, young man came up to me one time and was telling me about the, just the awesome girl he was dating. I mean, she was fantastic. He was just singing her praises. She's this, she's this, how awesome she was. And then he said, and she's definitely the right girl for me. And I asked, I asked him, I said, are you the right guy for her? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, dating, dating her for you is great, apparently. It's really good for you. But is dating you good for her? I said, are you praying for her? Are you leading? Are, are you setting the tone of how far you will go physically? Are you mature enough to handle this blessing? And it turned out he wasn't. They broke up because he had growing up to do. God withheld the blessing until he was ready to be the right guy. So, so you single people that are, that, that, are, that are really wanting to get married, if you're, you're wanting somebody, everything like this, I, I, maybe, maybe God is holding that back because you've got maturing to do. That's not, that's not a shot against you. Maybe there's this blessing coming to you is so amazing that you need to grow in your faith a little bit more. You need to be more stable. You need to, be a, you need to get hold of your emotions, maybe. I don't know. But God is maturing you. At um, 1998, I was in my second year of seminary. Um, I, I was not doing well in one of my classes. A professor said if we went to a church planting conference, who cares about church planting, all right? But we could get some extra credit. Well, I wasn't interested in church planting at all, but I was interested in doing better. So um, on a Saturday in 1998, when you don't have kids, you can actually go do stuff. I went over to the north side of Lexington, and, uh, and, and I went to the church planting conference, and at that conference, I was, my world was rocked. Uh, God called me there to be a church planner. That's when I, I got the, God's will for me as a pastor. Um, and uh, and, and I, I couldn't wait to see the fulfillment of that promise. Look around you guys. What you guys see right here is the fulfillment of that promise. This is the, our church. Look at our church family. Look at what, what this, that is the fulfillment, the faithfulness of God to that promise in 1998. And you say, well, hang on. This church hasn't been around since 1998. No, it hasn't. We planted this church in 2008. So, well, why the 10 years? Well, because I was a 24-year-old still in school who never preached a sermon. I'd never planned a worship service, never led a church staff, never uh, counseled a married couple, never done a funeral for a teenager that had committed suicide. I had no idea what I was doing. 
God had to grow me up. He had to mature me before he could deliver that promise. Had, God, had, I, had we planted Catalyst in 1998, it would have been a disaster. It would have been an absolute, total disaster because I had no idea what I was doing. I wasn't ready to lead. I was not ready to be an example. I was not ready to preach. I, God had to grow me up. He, I knew God's will. And so many times Satan tried to force me to do things outside of God's will. But God put me through nine tough years of youth ministry and worship ministry to prepare me for the blessing that Catalyst is. And believe me, you all are one of the biggest blessings God has ever sent my way. You all are amazing. I wasn't mature enough. I wasn't ready to be a senior pastor. And so God holds out on us many times because we're not ready for the blessings. Look what happens when people are blessed more than they can handle. Let's take a look at professional athletes. 19, 20-year-old superstar. You know, beginning, beginning his or her life, getting millions of dollars thrown to you, being adored by fans. What happens to those people, y'all? Well, about uh, upwards of 80% of professional athletes five years after they retire completely broke. Did you know that? Completely broke. They have no character in order, and it's not their fault, they're 19, 20 years old. They, ha they don't have the character or the maturity to handle all of the stuff that's being thrown their way. They make an absolute disaster out of it. That's what happens. See, you're not mature enough to handle the money or the fame. Look what it does to them. That is not God's will for you. People pray to God today that he does not let his blessings outrun your character. And be thankful today that God has not given you blessings that would destroy you. Be thankful. God is doing a work in you. He's not holding out on you. He's developing you. Your foundation, your faith, your character. So when he sends the blessings, they're actually blessings. You can actually enjoy them. That's one of the reasons why God makes us wait. He wants us to persevere and so that we will be mature and complete. And you know what God does with mature and complete people? He blesses them because he knows you will use them well. Okay, so be patient. Persevere. Allow God to develop that within you so that at the right time, he can give you the desires of your heart, like Psalm 37 says. The third thing that he develops within us, though, is faith. Faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And every time I, I, uh, I read this, I go back to David in the cave. Um, everyone talks about David's fight with Goliath like being this great thing of faith, and, and no doubt it was. You know, to, to walk out against a giant and everything like that, yeah, that's faith. But I think this episode took even more. This episode, the cave, took more faith than even watch, marching out to, 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 to deal with Goliath. You say, well, how's that? Well, because imagine David's belief in the goodness of God. Imagine he can take the kingdom, he can kill the guy who's trying to kill him, his sworn enemy can kill him, and take the kingdom, and yet he says this. He says, God's ways are so much better. I'm not going to go against his ways. I believe in my heart that if I stay true to God's ways, the blessing will be better. What a huge amount of faith that took. I don't know about y'all, 
But if my mortal enemy who was trying to kill me and trying to kill my family and making me live on scraps and scratching out a living in rocks, all of a sudden he was there, I'd be tempted to take him out. Make, make, you know, give myself some peace. Give myself some quiet. Stop living like a hunted animal. That would be very tempting. Imagine the faith that David de demonstrated right there, that no, God's ways are better. Imagine that. Oh, the temptation to take that into his own, hand, own hands must have been incredible, you all. And yet his story is in there to be an example to us. So church, is that the kind of faith we have? Is that the kind of faith we have? Do we live our lives according to that premise that here is a, here's a path to what I believe to be God's will for my life, yet I have to compromise my faith, I have to compromise God's commands to do it? Not for me. I'm sitting back because God's ways are better. Is that the kind of faith that we have this morning? That's the kind of faith God wants you to have. That's why this story is in here. Do we have what Hebrews 11.1 1 says, the confidence that what, in what you hope for and assurance about what you do not see. Do you have that this morning, church? Because what I would love to see in this church, people join online, and, and I, I would love to see people that made decisions according to their faith and not according to what is quick and easy. According to their faith is what this church needs Right out there, guys, right out there is a world that does things not according to God's will. Abraham knew God's will, but he decided to adopt the custom of the world to accomplish it. Please don't do that. Stay true to God. Have the faith that King David had, that God's ways are better. Have that kind of faith out there, as you go to school tomorrow, as you go to work tomorrow, there will be temptations for you to, to, to compromise God's ways. Don't. Don't do it. Stay true. Stay faithful. Allow God to develop you. Persevere. And when the time is right, God will give you the desires of your heart because you're mature enough to handle them without them destroying you. God bless you. You guys are awesome. See you next week. Bye-bye.